0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Good afternoon. Afternoon, I think we probably should go for. What a very uh, different time to be doing this. But uh, even our special guest tonight couldn't uh, get the, uh, the the Prime Minister to change the time of his address. So we've uh, we've acquiesced and we've gone for it that you all understandably are going to be glued to Boris Johnson a little bit later for his 7 p.m. Uh, address to the nation. So we've moved ourselves to five o'clock, and it gives us plenty of time to speak to this guest. And uh, uh, I'm going to bring in first of all my uh, my co-host, Partner Crime. Hello. Hello, Tom. You're right, mate. We've been yeah. looking forward to this one, haven't we? Yes, definitely, <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely love Steve. Um, yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with him uh, cool, three or four years n- uh, now uh, through the circuit. Uh, just a legend, absolute legend. Uh, l- lovely guy, great. Yeah, well, you'll you'll get him on. We'll find out. But some brilliant stories, down to earth. I cannot recommend him enough, um, and I'm so pleased he, he he came on. And I'm sure he's uh, looking. At, he's probably disappeared. I, I did, but yeah, he's he's just a great guy. <laughs> and I had the pleasure, like I said. I think other people have met him and we've and uh, seen him at Coombe, and he's just got time for everybody. Um, yeah, he's such a he is a great guy, a great personality.
0: I've had the pleasure as well of uh, sharing the stage with him when uh, yeah. I was hosting an awards due for uh, Caterham Graduates Racing Club, and he was the special guest. And honestly, I think I've just stopped hurting on my sides from that. Just a, yeah. a, an absolute gem with just amazing, hilarious. But I'm glad that he keeps his practical jokes to people that are bigger than us, Tom. That's the main thing. So <laughs> without further ado, I'm going to bring the main man in himself. It is Stavros. It's Steve Parrish. Hello, sir. Hello to you. Good afternoon, evening, whatever we want to call it. Anyway,
2: <laughs> I was wondering who that guest was. There were so many, you know, bits of smoke being blown up my bum. <laughs> what very,
1: can I say? Very kind <laughs> of you.
2: No, it's uh, it's a pleasure being here with you. Uh, always loved Castle Coombe, uh, supported it, and really quite sad that it's not all happening as we speak. But no, anyway, we'll do our best to to entertain the troops and, and have a talk about what we can. <laughs>
0: 100%. Absolutely. Um, Steve, we'll end up sort of talking uh, more about your very varied career as well as getting into some of the amazing stories you have. But can you remember, let's do a specific question at the moment. Right. What was your first time that you were at Castle Coombe?
2: Um, my first time at Castle Coombe or racing at Castle Coombe, believe it or not, was on four wheels. Um, and it was in, you spoke about the Caterhams, and I was mm-hmm. down there uh, mm-hmm. racing a Vauxhall Caterham, which was also a bit of an oddity because uh, having not really been into car racing that much, I've done the, a lot of quite a celebrity race, I guess they were called. Um, certainly at places like Brands Hatch and Donington, there was often a, um, a Ford Fiesta or a Mini Metro type race, that sort of thing. So I've been invited on a numerous occasions to race in celebrity car races and everything else. And there's a few funny stories about that, actually. Um, and uh, whilst I was racing trucks for BP, uh, it was supported by BP Europe. But BP UK got very heavily involved in my truck racing. And most of the races were around Europe. There was only one race in the UK. So BP... UK said well that's not we want to use him a bit more so they mm-hmm. literally did no more than went out to the catering factory struck up a deal uh with uh, Andy Noble it would have been I guess down there at Caterham Cars where they um they bought a car and uh, I raced in the rounds of the Caterham Vauxhall Championship that didn't clash with the European Truck Racing Championship. So that's my first proper race down there. And I seem to remember it ended in a huge crash because someone nailed me properly going into a corner. I can't remember what his name was. But um, but I've, I've ridden around there many, many times on motorcycles at demonstration events and bits and pieces and stuff like that. And I, and I must just quickly mention this. It, it isn't at your track, but it my first ever celebrity car race was at Brands Hatch, and it was in a... <laughs> Fiesta or Escort or something like that. And it was all different people. There was Lester Piggott there. There was Michael Lee, who was the Speedway World Champion. Barry Sheen was doing it. I think there was some snooker players and bits and pieces. And I really enjoyed racing the car. But there was one guy there that was nearly as fast as me, and it was Michael Lee, the Speedway rider, who was the World Champion at the time. So this would be about 77. And uh, I was a bit worried about him beating me. And uh, at the lunch break, I went back to his car and I managed to turn all the heaters up to maximum and point all the heat to his face. Um, and sure enough, it worked because we're having a huge, long battle. In the end, he faded by overheating because he couldn't reach because got all the seat on. you can't turn your heater off. So my dad worked and I won the race. Um, so going off a piece a little bit there. But so that's the question my first time at Carpacoon was racing
0: <laughs> and you've worked out how to make people's heat in too high i gotcha yeah <laughs> any tactical work what about i mean you mentioned about on the two wheels that you've done demonstrations does that mean and apologies i probably should know this but does that mean you haven't actually raced on two wheels at coon
2: no not a proper race there no because back in the days when i was uh, you know in my main career there was no rounds of any of the championships down there there was some mm. uh, club-type racing, but there was no British Championship round there. There was no uh, Shell Sport MCN-type championships down there either. So, no, I didn't get to kind of sample the delights of Castle Coombe until I'd sort of, you know, gone into more into truck racing and demonstration bike racing. Yeah, I'm really disappointed that I didn't because I... Um, when I was racing the Caterhams, it was on the circuit that didn't have all the chicanes in and everything else. And I've got to say, I'm a big fan of fast, fast corners and there is none better than at uh, Castle Coombe. I did, I must admit, I scared the living daylights out of me in the TVR around there. I was down there racing my Caterham and I think it was Tim Harvey uh, let me have some laps in a TVR around there, the Tuscan Championship. And um, I had a spin on one of the faster corners. <laughs> I must have seemed to go on forever. A spin, I think it was about eight spins actually. Yeah, but I, I, I adore some of those really fast corners at Castle Court.
1: But it's fair to say, you've, um, you know, the last few years when you've done the demos of the bikes, you, you're never shy, I mean, on those bikes that you've uh, demoed. I know you're not <laughs> racing, but you're never, you know, you always put, a, you know, that's the one thing with you, isn't it? You always put something on for the audience, and you must be going a fair lick on some of those uh, historic bikes.
2: Yeah, um, not obviously as fast as the modern-day bikes, but then the tyres the and the bikes and the handling and the brakes and everything else. Don 't work as well, but yeah, I, I still get a real kick out of racing or riding motorcycles fast and particularly the old two strokes and things and I'm really lucky that some very kind people have lent me some lovely motorbikes over the years um, to ride around down there and it there's a real thrill and a buzz of riding something that you used to do. How many people get to do things that used to mm-hmm. do when they're 40, you know forty years ago that's the, mm-hmm. the beauty of it really. I can get on a motorcycle that's now worth a lot more probably than it was back then and bring its neck around a fantastic circuit and mm-hmm. watch and cheer and love the noise and the sound and the smell and everything else it's yeah. i'm like a kid in a toy shop really and i'm having a great time they're having a great time not sure if the bike is that's getting a bit of a pasting it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really lovely and and hearing some of the wonderful bikes you've had down there with the Hailwood hondas and everything else like that mm-hmm. uh, there's something very very special about those lovely old bikes really and uh, nowadays and i, and I kind of go back a bit um i'm a lover of the older bikes but the nice thing is when you get the honda sixes there and the honda fours and the, the four cylinder two strokes the sound is so different when you come to a modern day motorcycle race and it could be a pretty bike round the bikes pretty much all sound the same you know you can't mm. tell between a 600 and a 750 and a, and a thousand and everything else whereas i guess i come from an era where the sounds and smells are vastly different and there's a lot of people out there watching that Remember them, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you prefer the uh, getting on the historics now, or would you st- would you like love to be on a modern piece of kit round, even if a demonstration at Castle Coombe?
2: A bit of both, really. Um, the the nice thing about being on a modern bike, it's. I, I'm not saying it's easy to go lap record pace, but it's very easy to ride a modern day bike at a reasonably good pace. It's got everything on it that's required. It's got good suspension, good brakes, very tractable motor, and everything else. Riding something like an RG uh, or the Yamaha, the, the TZ 500R, I uh, rode around for uh, uh, Chris lent us last year. Um, it's quite a awkward little beast to ride. It's tiny, very, very small. Very, very narrow power band. Um just the brakes really aren't that good. I mean, we didn't know at the time, but they were shy. Uh, but then I guess if you got in a Ford Cortina and a Ford Anglia, you wouldn't think the brakes are very good either. And that's the, the era we're talking about. So riding an old bike around a track is quite awkward, really, is is the word. I guess you have to carry your fingers over the claps the whole time just in case it seizes up. A number of sort of idiosyncrasies that is very easy to forget about these days. So um it, I have ridden a reasonably modern bike around Castle Coombe um, and it's relatively easy. But riding those old bikes, not only is it slightly awkward, they're also owned by someone that loves and cherishes it and it's their pride and joy and it's worth a lot of money. So you have to be a bit careful
1: with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> those owners, though, I have to say, you know, they, 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 they've always been so lovely to bring the bikes down and there's like a real, um, you know, I don't know, I mean, we had a thing with Foggy last year and we've had, you know, and, and um, other people, but. They just love it, don't they? They love seeing you guys riding. Like you said, there's a lot of money's worth of bike mm. there. And obviously, they trust you and everything. I get all that. But they just love it, don't they? They absolutely love that feel of seeing you doing that, which I think is great. It's just brilliant.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, for someone that owns those bikes and Foggy got to ride some lovely bikes around, I know John McGuinness said, it's quite mm-hmm. nice to have the bike that you've probably got sat. In your front room or in your garage at home, that's your pride and joy. And you've got pictures of people that used to race them back in the day. It adds a little bit of kudos to the bike, I think, and the credibility of that bike. You know, you can have that bike there, and as ridden by Carl Fogarty at Castle Coombe and John McGuinness and Steve Parrish, and so on and so on. And so it adds a little bit of nice history to that bike. Mm. I think that also works very well. There's a there's a lovely owner called Chris Wilson, who I'm pretty sure you've had some of his bikes down there, and Chris had uh, an ex-Kenny Roberts TZ500 completely restored, beautiful bike, lovely history and everything else. Um, and he took it to Snetchton. This must be, I'm going to say, 10, 12 years ago. And um, he said, only person I want to let and trust riding this bike is you, Steve. So if you wouldn't mind coming down to snatchton It was a CRMC meeting and everything else. And so there was a, a session for the old classic bikes. And he had a little bit of a problem with a uh, oil leak, or when I say an oil leak, a fuel leak, and there's obviously oil in the two-stroke fuel, And and it was flooding in the bottom of the belly pan and bits and pieces. Anyway, we kept tapping the carburetors as some people will remember used to have to do because the floats used to stick and so on. So, Anyway, cutting the story reasonably short, I go out on this bike (laughs) just before I get to start and finish straight at Russell's at Sneddon. Some fuel came out over the back tire and I got fired over the handlebars, broke my collarbone, broke his bike and everything else. So I've never been so embarrassed in all my life. Luckily, I banged my head a bit. So they carted me off to hospital and I'm pleased I didn't have to go back to the garage actually. <laughs> <laughs> the bike got fixed. So it wasn't badly damaged, but it was probably the most embarrassing crash I've yeah. ever had in my whole life because uh, Chris is a lovely guy. And unfortunately I broke his bike that he just restored. But anyway, I gave him my broken crash helmet and that was kind of my, my penance. And he's got that on his wall now.
1: <laughs> and the memories <laughs> as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, as uh, I got to, uh, Chastised actually in an email by someone called Mike Newbury saying that I wasn't talking enough about uh, bikes, um, but uh, uh, I'm sure he does understand that we're trying to do something nice here for everybody. And this is obviously a great chance to be able to do it. And what he did say that was a valid point is there's a a massive history of the bikes at Castle Coombe. You know, he, as he sort of rightly pointed out, is that uh, um, careers early stage careers by the likes of Surtees, Mike Hailwood, Phil Reed, Bill Ivy, Barry Sheen. Tony Rutter, Rod Gold uh, and of course our very own late great Rodney Gooch who went on to do good things on two wheels as well who I'm very proud that Howard Strawford and Rodney Gooch were the first ones to give me the break in the uh, the commentating world. Yeah. That That's some massive history and as was pointed out even after the 55 Le Mans crash that stopped car racing the bikes were able to keep going.
2: Yeah yeah no Castle Coombe is synonymous with you know, motorcycle racing around um, the UK. Um, I mean, I know a lot of the teams still like to use it in readiness for the TT. It's got some connections with a kind of Ripley, maybe not bumpy, but undulations that, that work. Well, done. well said, yeah. Test the suspensions out. And... I guess you'd say that a lot of the tracks that we go to now um get flattened and resurfaced they their billiard tables and to me that takes out some of the skills from the engineers and the suspension people. We're ending up with homogenized circuits that are all a little bit the same and Castle Coombe's unique and I think that's what's nice about it. And that's why people like coming down there and racing down there. I talk to a lot of the current racers down there when I'm down there for the classic riding the classic bikes, riding their modern bikes. And to me, having undulations is very oh, right, one minute
0: oh um, i wondered what that was then
2: <laughs> i'll just park your name back it's right it's it's, uh, it's a mate of mine lives on a road called uh, dave so that's why the phone was going hello it's dave <laughs> um, everyone has their own ringtone you don't know what yours is, do you tom
1: i hate to think i dread to think <laughs> Like it's, okay.
2: it's it's the yinglong song. Hang on a minute, Michelle. Please, um, excuse me. <laughs> no. Right. Um, yeah. No, no, it isn't. I, I can't tell you.
0: <laughs> I should it's ring so you. Whilst very... you're on there, shouldn't I? The, I should ring you now.
2: The beauty of uh, live um, podcasting. Yeah. yeah
1: <laughs> I, I'm going I should ring you to see what it what it sounds like. And I, I've been so. I've been so lovely about you. So I can, I can take all that back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but you know it, the, the king of practical jokes is that you know you're not going to get away with it i was watching only uh for the f- i'm sure it's for the first time but i was aware of it the uh the beatles about on you as well i watched earlier today
2: <laughs> yeah 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 i mean people always have me down as the practical joke and i always get the brunt of it and the blame for doing these things and whatever goes on it's parish it's parish it's his fault i got <laughs> Broccoli stitched up with that 1987. It was my first year running the Loctite Yamaha team. And, um, you know, it was my sponsors that got involved with it as well. Uh, was it? It, it was a consortium of tow rags that lived nearby me that decided I needed to be got. One was the landlord of my local pub. And in fairness, I did deserve it because I used to own a fire engine. We decided to go and hose him out one day on a busy Sunday lunch. So that didn't go down at all well. But anyway, him and another guy got together. And then they got together with Yamaha UK and Loctite, my sponsors, and they really did set me up. I had a, a visitation from a young lady one day who said she was from Glue International or some magazine, whatever. But basically she was from London Weekend Television, casing up the joint, the workshops, and where this was and that was. And, uh, and then I had a call from Yamaha, important meeting. You've got to go down to Chessington where they were based. Could I be there for... 11 o'clock, so I got up at 7 in the morning to miss the traffic and drove all the way down. I get down there. Meeting lasted half an hour. Oh, no, that's it. I didn't even buy me lunch, so I drive all the way back home. And there I am confronted with a flipping NATO exercise and policemen and anti-aircraft guns and army people and helicopters flying around. Yeah. I mean, it was a good big setup. Uh, They spent all morning going around the village telling people to put their dogs and cats away because there was going to be so many explosions Mm. going on.
0: Agree. I tell you, one of the things that I found funny as well is that when I was watching the the reveal, I'm sure you had no idea who Jeremy Beadle was.
2: No, I didn't. I, I must admit, at the time, I was so busy riding—not um, just racing bikes, but running a team in the workshops. I barely watched TV, to be quite honest. Um, and and that was really the other part of it. I mean, I, I mean, it's a program that I love, and adore, having kind of got involved with it. But I just wasn't a TV person. And a lot of people sort of being in my business, we're like say, we'd be in a workshop all night long and then go to the race meet and then coming back and busy. And I didn't know who the flipping alley he was. And <laughs> he was in front of me, yeah. I, I, it was never shown afterwards, but we all got him back with some practical joke. And I can't remember what we did now. We did something to him, but he wasn't at all impressed, actually. He didn't have as good yeah. a sense of humor as he he's giving out.
0: Well, oh, he can give uh, it, but he can't take it. I got you. Yeah anybody <laughs> wants to watch it go on to youtube yeah, i think someone's put steve a link Parrish. up <laughs> yeah i'm not surprised steve parish and beatles about and you'll find it there straight away and you kind yeah. of have to go probably about halfway through the program i think it is uh and it and it's up there and it is i'm not going to say any more about it because it's just hilarious it really is i mean barry sheen <laughs> yeah. made the comment though steve that saying if you spent as much time Uh, So if you set up your bike as well as as his victims and had put as much effort into the bike as he did, the intricate pranks he pulled on people, he would certainly have been a world champion.
1: He's probably probably right, but but he wouldn't have as many stories, would I? No. You wouldn't have a career, would you? You'd, just, you yeah, have, yeah. a yeah, You'd yeah. have a career now. You'd have a
2: career yeah. going to all that trouble of working on motorbikes all that time.
1: Because, um, I you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to ask you the question about, you know, you've got about stories and things. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure uh, Chris has seen this one. But come on, you've got to, you've got to tell everyone who's watching about why you can't go back to Macau.
2: Well, uh, there's a slight <laughs> misconception there because I wasn't allowed. I did get a ban <laughs> from Macau. Uh, you're right. I mean, I've been banned from quite a few things, but never a country before. Um <laughs> Uh, and that was, a, again, I was a bit of a victim of circumstances. As it seems my life has been, uh, things went slightly wrong where we decided a group of people, I must say, it wasn't just me, I was probably the one that came up with the idea, but we thought we'd let off a firework, a, a firework in a, an establishment uh, that has a red light over the door where I think there's, I believe there's young ladies in there that are scantily clad, and you can, I, I think they're called brothels actually, but anyway, so <laughs> And it was decided after the race at Macau, about eight o'clock in the evening, we would let this firework off in the foyer of the um, Macau brothel. Um, And the reason we did, I thought there'd be a few people that I knew. Um, But what I didn't know was in there was the chief of police. Now, they shouldn't have been in there in the first place. When this firework went off, and it was bigger than we expected. It was big in size, but I didn't expect it to make such a big bang and explosion and go off as it did. Um, There was all smoke and bits of red paper everywhere, and all these people came screaming and running out, and most of mine knew. That was the funny part about it. Um, (laughs) The the chief of police had a driver there that dropped him off and was sat at the bar having a drink while the chief of police was round the back getting a backhander, or probably a fronthander for all I (laughs) know. And um, and he, so they got all they knew who we were, they followed us back to the hotel after it all went off, and all the police turned up and took our passports away and sort of told us that that, that was happened in the evening because we didn't even know we were being followed back, but anyway, we were. Um, and in the evening, they took our passports from us, and it was myself, Paul Butler, who name you probably might recollect was the race director for Motor GP. Mm. Uh, a lad called Howard Lees, who sadly got killed in a, a plane crash. He was in a pits plane doing aerobatics or something. And, a, and an Irish fellow. So there was four of us. Anyway, they came that night, took our passports away. But I actually had two passports. One, an out-of-date one that had my American visa in it. So I stitched them up with a passport that wasn't that valid. They came back the next morning. We thought there'd be some paperwork. But they came back with handcuffs and everything to arrest everyone. So I literally did a run-up. I bolted. Uh, saw what was going on, uh, took the cap from my mechanic, uh, put a pair of sunglasses on and snuck out the back of the hotel, out the fire escape, got in a cab, went to the hydrofoil, got on the first hydrofoil going back to, to Hong Kong from Macau, which was about an hour's trip, thinking I'd got away with it all and proud as punch I was that all the others were in trouble, but I'd got away. You know, It's like I was an escapee <laughs> until uh, Mike Trimby, who was the guy that was running the trip, Turned up in Hong Kong with the rest of the group. And it was probably 200, 250 people with the news that if I didn't go back to Macau, they were impounding all the Formula Three cars, all the motorbikes. They were locking everything down until I went back to own up. So I had to go all the way flipping back to Macau on the hydrofoil. And the bit that I wished I'd had a phone and a camera then, you know, we couldn't we didn't have cameras with us. At the hydrofoil, they'd blown up the picture out of my passport and it got wanted. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> one of those cowboy things. Uh, oh, dead, or, dead, dead or alive. So I had to go and hand myself at the police station. Oh. four days in prison. I, I'd only just got married. Imagine phoning your new wife up saying, I'm in prison for blowing up a brothel. It went down like a...
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a bit more to that story, isn't there, that, that happened a couple of years ago. When you were in the airport, Ooh. are we allowed to talk about that or not?
2: Yeah, yeah, but I'm. A lot of stories, actually. Um, which, which one is that? What was
1: when, the, when the lady came up to you?
2: Ah, oh, no, no, no. That was that the lady that came up to me was uh was the one from Finland when the toilets got blown up. Oh, I that's think. the toilets. Sorry, yeah.
1: yes, the yeah, toilets. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I that, forget them. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. something you blew. <laughs> you, something need, you, blew. you need to read my book.
0: The links at the bottom of this screen, everybody. Yeah, that
2: that was another incident where the toilet, blown up in Finland, and and forty years down the road, a woman taps me on the shoulder when I was at the classic TT, queuing up for a cup of coffee, and and explains how her husband was and her were parked next to the toilet block when it got blown up, or we set fire to it and forgot about the methane gas and it all blew up, (laughs) Um, and. Her, the police questioned her husband, and he refused to grass us up, and went to prison for that. They locked him up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, it's just how it goes round. I just think it's just brilliant. I know, right? I know, I know. I it's,
2: know. It's, just it's brilliant. It's, it's kind of a small world we live in, isn't it? But I, I mean, I, I feel pleased in some ways that I'm. I'm not pleased that I'm really old, but I did live in a good era where you could also be a professional sports person, but also have fun doing it. I think, and mm-hmm. and that is, quite difficult in modern days sure. isn't it because of the commercialism that goes with it as I said back in the days if I'd have had a, a camera with me god my mad tour would have even better because I haven't got half the footage from all the things that went on because no one had cameras with me
1: <laughs> and that's but really for legal reasons legal yeah. reasons yeah but you'd probably be <laughs> you a lot
0: of court orders
2: yeah I could have had a picture of me in prison couldn't I <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'd be in a whole lot more trouble if it was caught on camera that's for yes. sure
2: yeah I would be and I, and that's why I say I feel sorry for a lot of people now with social networking it's beneficial times like this I mean we couldn't live we could not live without it but the mm. downside is if you do anything wrong everyone's got a picture of you doing yeah. going doing wrong and you can't get away with it can you no. I used Absolutely. to say no, that no, wasn't me definitely wasn't me <laughs> you're, you're I mean I
0: I, it it depended on my audience is that I turn around and say that uh, uh, Stavros and, uh, and Barry Sheen were the James Hunt of the bike world. But if I'm in another crowd, I'll go James Hunt is the Steve yeah. Parrish of the four-wheel front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was the era, wasn't it?
2: I, I think it was. Um, it, it sort of um, was a bit sex, drugs and rock and roll, I guess you say, in the 670s. Um, it was the sun seemed to shine all the time. Everyone was a bit flashy and driving around. In, I don't know. It just seemed like it was it was the good times. And I think it's actual factual that everyone says that was the era to live in, really. And it, and it was a fabulous time, albeit that we seem to gloss over the fact of the dangers, don't we? Because it was mm. massively dangerous, not only on bikes, in cars as well. Back in those early days of Formula One, if the accident didn't kill you, the fire did type of thing. And, you know, mm. people like, sadly, Sterling Moss, we've just lost, and John Surtees, those guys were also, you know, living in really scary, dangerous times. Mm-hmm. And um, pleased to say that that has got a lot better now. Every circuit, including, including you know, where you are at you've done some tremendous things and moving barriers back, giving more runoff areas and, and all those things that used to be the problem um, because uh, protective clothing was pretty rubbish. The bikes mm-hmm. used to seize up and the cars used to, wheels used to fall off and you ended up, hitting sleepers and barriers and everything that were hard so it was great times and i think you know probably that's what made us a bit wilder maybe that's why we were doing dafter things because we didn't know what was around the corner it was live every day mm. to, or every week to its fullest
0: uh, yeah you're probably right it, it sort of like feeds itself then doesn't it and y- you go for it no matter what and, and yet the irony is is that there wasn't as much money in it back then when more risks were being taken
2: no, um, and that made it probably a bit easier because if you upset someone or did something wrong, uh, you upset someone. You didn't lose your, you know, 100 million or thousand pounds mm-hmm. worth of sponsorship and your helmet badge and, your, you know, you weren't castigated yeah. in such a way. People used to laugh and giggle. Even the, even the journalists, you know, write about it, you know. Uh, uh, the headlines at Motorcycle News in the, after the Macau thing was gang bang goes wrong. <laughs> <That> was-
1: <laughs> yeah. They put that in fast bikes next month. <laughs> page news, yeah. Gang bang goes wrong. <laughs> um,
2: but uh, can you imagine that now? Well, I don't think yeah. someone would be that keen if you did anything like that. Good eras, good eras and and uh, everyone used to enjoy themselves. And you know, I, I'm actually not qualified to say it, but I think that was a bit of a war thing. You know, it's like in the war time people got on with their lives they parted hard they you know they fought hard and, and I think that was a bit how motorcycle racing or motor racing in general was back in those days yeah yeah
1: because yeah, I would say we because I remember we, we laughed in Jay didn't we um a while back about a few of these different things and I'll come on to come on to the 80s in a minute I guess really but uh, go for it Chris
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, we got uh, Michelle Pointer-Brown, that's uh, presumably uh, uh, one of our racing drivers and and medical car driver, Russell Pointer-Brown's good lady. Hi guys, just wondering if Plummet Airways might be opening a route to New York?
2: Well, um, we're waiting to hear obviously from uh, the government as to what goes on. We're Uh, We're talking to Mr. O'Leary from Ryanair because there could be an amalgamation going on there. We're not sure at the moment. Um, It's been proposed that he might want to pick up some of my routes, uh, which is Top Farm here where I am now um, into um, Badminton. I think that's one of the routes that we use. Down your way, um, so we're not sure yet at the moment. We're weighing up a few options, and I have been looking this afternoon if I can strap a few extra jerry cans on the tank on the wings to extra fuel. Uh, but we're not sure about the aerodynamics on that at the moment. Is that your poor
0: Michelle's going to be forced to be the one to get out to refuel it in the air? Then is she,
2: yeah? Uh, Well, she can't, she's been furloughed.
0: Oh, right, of course, silly me,
2: (laughs) she'd have to do it in her own spare time if she did.
1: (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know plummet airways is uh <laughs> steve's uh own plane and uh and and as with everything steve you you just grasp and create a story and, and a funny line out of everything and i think there's everybody has got something to learn from that haven't they is that it just come through these tough times with a smile on your face still
2: yeah, I think so. Um, as I said, I did a, a morning with Susie Perry, who's doing podcasts or Instagram lives from where her home in France, and we got laughing about Plummet Airways. I, Susie had was a, uh, a gold card holder of Plummet Airways, along with Charlie Cox, where we'd fly back as a force to a lot of the European Grand Prix. And Susie was the catering manager, actually. Um, she, uh, I used to say she used to bring the food along uh, with her own fair hands from Marks and Spencer's, uh, I don't think she ever buttered any of the bread. It was all done at Marks and but she'd, she'd supply all the ingredients for the trip. And Charlie would bring cans of gin and tonic along, so we'd celebrate once we got over the channel. That Goodbye. was
0: uh,
2: <laughs> how, how it used to work. But um, there was a, we had a lot lot of fun uh, travelling back as forwards with with Plummet, dive-bombing ferries and things like that.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh just bringing up as well we mentioned about the fact that uh, we've got the link for the book uh angie tyne says fantastic book highly recommended my husband laughed through the entire book and it is it's there in the link uh, below there at the very least go to steve racing.com and you'll be able to see that there's a link under shop for the new book uh and signed as well i see steve
2: yeah we we've done actually since the lockdown i have to say we've been selling quite a lot for, the, for that reason i think people want to put a smile on their face and uh yeah if it's a present for someone we can personalize them to do whatever you want um and if you buy two you get a free poncho that's important as well have you said Have you, you probably haven't seen my latest ponchos have you You might uh, have done
0: yes we have. Might have isn't there one uh, behind you, you can there? by
2: all means you can yeah, uh, there, there is one in the background there um uh, Can't quite
0: see it on camera. Hang on, I get it. Hold still. Hold still. <laughs> you can buy these. These are just brilliant. I, I want
1: to see. I want to see a load at Coombe, Chris. Don't you? On the bank. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> I just want to see that on the bank. Absolutely. I, I, I just have uh, an idea. That could be Marshall PPE, couldn't it?
2: Well, that's fine. The thing about uh, parish ponchos. <laughs> um, and I've only, I've only got, um, when I asked Michelle to see if she could organize some, I said, oh, I'll get us a hundred. Cause when I've had one for years and I walk around and I said, oh, I want one of those, I want one of those. So I thought oh, we'd we'll get some anyway. Um, I did press the green button, but the minimum order was 10,000. So I've only got 9,920 left. So, 70
1: left. so should, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, I should lose that, but it's good for social, um, keeping apart, because when you wear one of those, everyone runs away from you. So, uh, yeah, social distancing, it's guaranteed if you put one of those on. Uh, so anyway, just um, I'm sure that they'll be so – they're not going off and it's going to rain a lot, almost certainly come – Come the summer, isn't it? So they'll, Absolutely. They'll be but yeah, we want,
0: uh, we want to see them at Coombe. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely, definitely.
2: Yeah, I think the marshals should be; su- they could be supplied with them without a
0: doubt. Be a, it'll it'll be a great.
2: The when they see those, all the drivers will be swerving off the track, won't they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm catch, trying to catch up with something we've had loads of comments already coming in, and uh it's so difficult. Uh even just some lovely ones. Simon Peters saying as kids we would cycle to the circuit from Chip and Sobri every bank holiday from our hood there, uh Tom, although you still call it the Cotswolds, but it's not.
1: Yeah, very
0: much so. Um uh Barney Gale, Stavros, what's your favourite truck ever to race? <laughs> Rather specific.
2: Oh, wow. Um do you know I, I... I've only ever really properly raced a Mercedes. Um, I started with them um, at the first ever race in the UK. And the first ever race I did was at Donington Park called the Multi-Park Truck Grand Prix. And I am I think it was 85. It might have been 84, 84, 85. And um, it, it, I conned my way into it or blagged my way into that, actually. And again, I was envious because... Whenever I did a celebrity car race, which we spoke about earlier, uh, and Mr. Sheen was generally in those races, I did two or three. I could always beat him. In a car, I could beat him. But on a bike, he could generally beat me. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, he got this drive at Donington Park for the first thing. Because if you remember, the latter part of his career was sponsored by DAF trucks. It was on the back of his Suzuki in 83. They had a DAF transport. Porter and so on and so on. So it was quite a connection there. So when truck racing turned up, Daff immediately said, right, we're going to Barry Sheen in one. They had um, all, all sorts of, Martin Brundle actually drove in that first race in a Renault because he was connected to Renault through Formula One. There was um, Stig Blomquist, I think the rally driver. There was all sorts of people from different motorsports doing mm. that race. And I was massively envious. I wanted to do it. So I took myself down to Mercedes-Benz UK at Milton Keynes and Said I want to race a truck and Barry Sheen, my teammate, and my mates doing it, and so on and so on. And they said, "Well, we don't want to officially do it, but we've got a, uh, a distributor called Mitchell Cox down in Norfolk, um, Ipswich, I think they were, and they were interested in doing it." So sure enough, they put us together. Uh, they did. They said, "You do have an HGV license, don't you?" And I went, "Oh yes, of course I do. I'd never driven anything other than the transit." So I blagged my way into that, um, oh. and they. Said, you you bet. And these were road trucks in the early days. And uh, they said, well, you better have a go in it. And, of course, I went off in this thing and all the gears were great and I kept telling them I was more used to a Foden or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never driven a truck before. Anyway, happened. we went to Donington for this first race. And sure enough, I was, I don't know, I qualified fastest and finished second in the race or something like that and just took to it like a duck to water. So the answer to the question is I'd have to say Mercedes-Benz because realistically that's all I've ever properly raced. So I couldn't Mm. tell you. Uh, obviously, the races that I won and the championships I won, the Mercedes was best. But if I didn't
0: win, the other model was better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet, statistically, you had even more success in the trucks than the bikes. Multiple I guess, world champion.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I, truthfully, I did. And and the, the answer to that is twofold. I think that um, I, I genuinely, <clears throat> excuse me, the Mercedes was a very good product. But I think the other side of it was... There was less pain involved i must admit the downside of racing motorbikes is i didn't like waking up in strange hospitals wondering who i was and where i was with bits of plaster on so there was an element of the um, the parish sort of allergy to pain uh, <laughs> i had one of those for a number of years and so when when i switched to truck racing there was definitely less chance of ending up with broken arms and legs and bits and pieces and stuff like that so i think i was able to push to the limits slightly more maybe the motorcycle Mm. but i don't know i just as a kid growing up motorcycles weren't necessarily the true love it was i used to drive cars around the fields we had a disused airfield nearby so i generally was driving cars at a younger age and i was motorcycles so i don't know i had an affinity with four six wheels or anything so yeah i I really enjoyed my my um truck racing career and so the answer to that question is mercedes-benz
0: Fair enough. Yeah. What, I'm just trying to remind myself. Is it six times that you were truck champion? More than that. Uh, five times. Five, five times. times.
2: the European. I think I won four British and five Europeans, yeah. Or
0: and European. sadly, that's something that we never have and never will see you in at Castle Coombe, the truck, sadly, as much as we'd like to. But I do remember, I'm, I'm right in remembering that that green BP livery was on the catering that you mentioned at Castle Coombe as well, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, and I think I'll go down, and uh, I don't think anyone will beat this record, because I remember one sunny day, and again, I can't tell you what year it was, maybe 95, 6, something um, something like that. I went to Donington Park in the morning for the Caterham race, And I had a police chips, a proper police motorbike, an American police chips motorbike. So I rode that to Donington Park. I did the Caterham race, won it, jumped on my police motorbike with (laughs) sirens and flashing lights. I'm thinking I'm too late to get arrested now. Charged (laughs) Donington Park across Leicestershire and got to Mallory Park where my truck was all warmed up and ready and went out and won that race in the afternoon. Yeah, so I can't think that's going to get beaten. So I had a winner going into the coach at something like midday and then at 2 o'clock I won the race in the truck at Mallory Park uh the british championship so yeah you're right they were mirrored as far as the livery was concerned i,
0: I remember it because uh um my dad and i were up at uh at, at Quarry corner where i fell in love with racing and and we still he and i have talked about it and leading up to this show when i said you know oh, you know great we're, we're interviewing steve and he went oh i still remember you and i sat up with me as a young boy sorry oh, steve but i was um yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh I'm watching you there. in that in that caterham and you know it was it was special and it was bumper grids as well wasn't it in those times yeah
2: yeah there were big big popular races um uh, the Vauxhall championship um and and I I did win a few races but I often finished second or third and there was um, the family that owned caterham with the Nern family um and the son of the nurn family raced in it and it wasn't until I stopped racing I found out he had a trick differential in his which was <laughs> um and i could never understand how this flipping lad kept beating me but anyway um that's how it was um all part of the part of the fun of it all but i really enjoyed racing them and they're fantastic cars um you can never have more fun on a track day in a car than in a catering passing all the ferraris and and porsches and bits and pieces and things like that they're great little cars and people still race them and have a lot of fun with them nowadays i know
0: Yeah. So I've been in a passenger in one and it's terrifying. I haven't driven one yet. But as you know, Steve, I'm heavily involved with the various Caterham Championships to commentate on and awards and everything. They just it's it must have been amazing to drive because I've got to say from a commentator's perspective, it's one of the most fun and therefore almost easiest to commentate on because so much happens. Fact, yeah,
2: you know, I think they're the nearest thing to a motorbike on four wheels. Actually,
0: correct, exactly. That's what I've always said. Yeah, exactly right. And another thing on the Caterham front that I suspect, I'm assuming, still hasn't been beaten and probably wouldn't, is that you also you have the Guinness Book uh, of Records world record for the fastest speed achieved in reverse in a Caterham. Yeah. Well, it was in a Caterham. It's the fastest speed at all.
2: That that was an interesting thing, and again, that came from Andy Noble, who was an MD of Caterham Cars at the time, and they decided that they could because a, a number of Caterhams, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to put motorcycle engines in. Uh, they'd put something like a Hayabusa Suzuki engine in or an FJ1200 Yamaha or whatever engine in because in it fitted straight in very easily and generally hadn't as much power and certainly the power to weight ratio because you know you get 200 horsepower one of them um, and made it a really interesting car with a sequential six-speed gearbox and everything else but the problem with the motorbike as we all know most of them don't have a reverse gear so Caterham designed this system where you put your motorbike engine in and it was really good and powerful but to get a reverse they had to have a transfer gearbox so it basically turned the drive from going one way forwards to reverse but then they then had to put a lock to stop people going using six gears in reverse because you kill yourself, you know, going that fast. So they had this transfer gearbox that automatically locked in first gear, but reversed it. But if they took the lock off, it had six reverse gears. So that's what they turned up at uh, Bruntingthorpe with this Caterham. And I think it was a uh, Hayabusa engine or something like that. And uh, that was it. All the people came along with the tape measures and the speed guns and so on and so on. Um, and they thought they needed some idiot to drive it. So I got the phone call, and and that's how I did it. And I had to do it on the mirrors because, you know, in a cage you can't turn around. You're you're too tight in it. Um, And I think they thought, oh, if he's a lorry driver, he should be good with his (laughs) mirrors. Yeah, right. That's what we did. And people thought I was absolutely crazy. But I worked out, as I do, because I don't like hurting myself, if it all went horribly wrong, what was going to happen? I was going to spin and end up going forwards. So it seemed right to me. So anyway, I did it. And it was quite hard because a car, as probably you all know, you go forwards generally, most cars let go of the steering wheel and it centers itself. It's the Ackerman on it and all the geometry of the steering that allows them to centralize. When you let go of the steering wheel, it wants to go straight. Well, when you're driving fast and reverse, you let go of the steering wheel, all it wants to do is go on full lock. So it's completely opposite. So you have to brace yourselves and I had a, a special armrest and everything else, and away we went, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I, we did the two runs which got the record and then I blew the gearbox up. So we couldn't do a third one if we tried.
0: And just in case nobody knew, 105 miles an hour in reverse. I mean, yeah. that's just insane. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I, that that was the time in Macau when I was actually, when the firework went off, I was supposed to be the getaway driver. I didn't do a very good job, would I?
1: No. <laughs> i think it's a great thing as well i mean just when um chris was saying about you know watching the catering racing back in you know back in the day with you and everything and um i remember when i first met you a few years ago steve and I'd, I'd said we were chatting and i said look i said i'm not that into motorbikes i said to be honest and i would seen your truck racing because daddy's be a truck driver and we'd seen it at donington and everything. i said but to be honest I said, i'm more interested i said you have to tell me about you bet because i used to love you bet and i said i remember you on there Doing those challenges. And I just absolutely, that's, and I just think of the catering, because those stories were just brilliant for me. I just absolutely, Chris, you must remember You Bet as well.
0: No, I'm not old enough, mate.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I've got my my gold medallion
2: somewhere around here from You you. I ended up doing one, two, I think I did four of their challenges. I think they were short of people to do stupid things, really. (laughs) Um, And one was driving the BP truck around Mallory Park blindfolded uh they bet that i couldn't get around there within 20 of my normal lap time um the other one was flying my plane i'd learned to fly then and i um i had to do i had to take off do a circuit and land with an instructor beside me and the same with the truck i had some i had my team manager dave atkins sat beside me and we put on the truck this is we put a knob like a combine would have on the steering wheel and then used the clock face so it'd be one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock you know 12 11 For positioning of the steering wheel for going around the corners, it was only when we'd done it I realised he'd got a digital watch. (laughs) (laughs) That that took place, and then the flying circuit of flying around. I had my instructor guy that taught me to originally fly sat beside me, telling me pull up, pull back, flare, throttle, and this, that, and the other. Um, The third one, which I had to cheat a bit, uh, which I'm, I feel bad about it, and I. Hardly sleep at nights thinking about it, but they bet that uh, I couldn't beat a polo pony through a slalom course on a grassy uh, field, and it was down your way somewhere. It might even have been. It, maybe, yeah. It was definitely down Cheltenham <laughs> Way or somewhere down that way, um, and they had this top line polo jockey with a polo pony. And they set this slalom up, uh, mirrored, one either side. And you had to kind of set off on this wet grass and go through it. And I had got a Mercedes-Benz SL sports car. And the kind of the the flag had dropped. And we had to race through this slalom, turn around and come back down the other end. And it was so greasy. The poor old Mercedes traction control and everything was kicking in. And it was sliding and slithering around. And on the turn, coming back, the horse was in front of me. And it looked like it was going to beat me. But I blew my hooter. And it's (laughs)
1: <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you put a car in the back of a truck though as well? Yeah, well, we, well, did that. Well, we did. Because you did that with Annika Rice, didn't you?
2: That's right, we did. We loaded out that was the fourth one. It was with um what's the stunt driver? Um Terry. Maybe? Not Terry. Terry, Terry, Terry Grant. Terry Grant. Oh, that was it. It was with Terry Grant, Michelle's crawling across the floor, so she's not seen in the picture. <laughs> Mainly because she don't want to lose her furlough money. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, it was. We loaded. We had a low loader truck where we loaded. Uh, it was like a pickup onto the low load, All going along at 50 miles an hour. Yeah. That's it. We loaded them all up going at 50 miles an hour, and then finally a motorbike on the back of that. and So it was like a a low loader with a pickup truck with a car and then a motorbike it's about four stories um and we had mm. to do it while it's all going along mm. and it all worked mm.
0: picking up on you mentioned about the slalom there in uh, a mercedes i think you said it was an sl that you did that in yeah uh somewhat ian jones has asked a question i am going to put up uh let me do this so that we <laughs> still see you uh ian jones question from nick Mizen. i was racing at donington park around the mid 90s and there was a mercedes sl parked behind the garages With the registration uh, number Pen 15, (laughs) is there any truth that it might have been yours? Uh,
2: Yes, I own Pen 15 for about 20 years, I guess, something like that. Um, uh, Yeah, I originally bought it when I was uh, still with my first wife, and it was to stop her driving my car around. (laughs) Because I had a nicer car than her, and and so she'd be nicking my car all a while, so I bought Pen 15, and that stopped it. after that i needed a matching sort of pair so i've now got six zero ck as well yeah Um, yeah. So yes, they, oh, it's, look, look at Chris's brain working. Work he's gonna work
0: out. <laughs> I did. I wasn't gonna look say. Yeah, that oh, right, I was between your legs, out. Chris. <laughs> You're assuming there, but never mind. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. uh Chris Mason, uh one of our medical crew. Can I just say thank you to Mr. Parish for dropping into medical center to say hello and take a photo with the medical crew? That doesn't um, surprise me about you, sir.
2: I know, a pleasure, and we know that we couldn't go racing without medical crews, marshals, everybody that's involved with all that side of it. Um, and I don't think at times it's appreciated enough. A lot of bike riders and drivers and everything else, the only time they see someone uh, as a marshal is often when they're ranting and raving because they've gone off the track and they're in a bad mood and they're being stopped to get over the fence or something like that. But I don't think people really do appreciate you know, arguably the marshals and doctors and everyone there—they're the NHS of the racetracks. Realistically, they're the people that are there to help you keep you safe and everything else. And I know a lot of them do it just for the pleasure and the fun of doing it. So very much appreciated. And and thank you very much indeed for picking me up over the years and patching me up and everything else. Yeah.
0: Even with your uh, uh, fear of the pain, anyway. But yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I actually don't. I don't. I've got a reasonably high pain threshold. It's the thought of getting hurt that I don't like. And Once I've yeah. got hurt, it's not so bad. It's all that that uh, thought of it hurting is what I don't like.
0: I know what you mean. I'm <laughs> exactly the same. Right. One of our Orange Army, Dave Rogers, uh, Dilly Dilly Dave. Uh, Steve, what was the duck on the back of your truck for? Was it a lucky charm thing?
2: It sort of was. It, it came about um, from mainly my crew that worked on the um, team Um, and it was dave atkins was the team manager and then there's two or three mechanics and alan clark was the truckie driver um and yeah it sort of was a bit of a lucky charm and and they used to kind of like the fact that especially when i was winning a lot everyone all they ever got to see was a duck looking back at them so yeah it was very much a lucky charm that stayed with us right the way through but it, it was always funny being involved with Mercedes because uh, our team, can I say, we were uh, Mercedes had generally three or four teams within, um, and there was Slim Borgard for a time, uh, who was a Swedish uh, fellow that uh, raced Formula One, actually Slim Borgard at one point. He was the drummer in the s- session band for ABBA. Uh, there was um, Hegman Thomas Hegman uh, was a German driver. Uh, Ludovic Foire was a French driver and we all had the same vehicles but we ran them at separate teams and most of the other teams particularly the German team you can imagine everything where they were up at seven in the morning everything was all lined up and all polished and ready I'd get to the track about 8.30 in the morning and there'd just be stacks and stacks and rows of beer bottles and everything else (laughs) outside where where they'd been up playing guitars and partying till one o'clock in the morning and just daft things going on And then I'd get in and go out and win the races and come back in. And they used to tear their hair out, as you can imagine, as they were very teutonically lining everything up and so on and so on. Um, But, yeah, it was a lucky charm, the duck, and it was fairly lucky. But it was also Barry Sheen not only said if I spent as much time planning my racing as I did my victims, he also said if I fell in a cesspit, I'd come up with a salmon on my head, (laughs) which is about true.
0: It's not a bad way to be. We all would like to be like that. Uh, another one of our guys that's been in the circuit for, for many, many, many years, uh, David Vassar, said, Chris, the most successful rider to have raced at Castle Coombe was Derek Minter. He was known as the King of Coombe.
2: Yeah. Now, I never, ever met Derek Minter. He was also the King of Brands, I believe, as well. I think he was the King of lots of places. He was a really fast rider. I suspect that most of his riding was done on Manx Norton's and things like that. But... Um, i didn't ever get to race with Derek minter i started about the time he probably retired uh, so i'm gonna guess he would have finished racing in about the early 70s something like that mm-hmm. when i when i started 73 um but um uh, from all accounts he was a fantastic rider very smooth very very good very solid um but i i didn't get to meet him and i also didn't get to meet who was a kind of um when I say a, a, an icon, probably because of what other people have said, was Bill Ivy. He got killed, sadly, before I kind of got into the sport. Um, and, and a number of these, you know, so many of these riders did get killed in the sport. But I know Bill Ivy was Barry Sheen's hero. Uh, And that's really what inspired Barry. And Barry was terribly, terribly, terribly upset when he got killed. Nearly kind of gave up riding himself because Bill Ivey was the womanizer that drove around in the Ferrari and rode motorbikes fast and did all the things that, as a kid, what you want to be, don't you? Um, Yeah. Still now, yeah. to be honest, you're still now for that, Max. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nothing, uh, nothing's changed. <laughs>
0: yeah. And apologies, I should know this, Steve, but I'm going to ask it instead of looking through this mountain of notes I've got. Have you done the race? The TT, have
2: I raced the TT? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um. And I, I thought you I right. exactly how all i know is that i've got 13 silver replicas so that means i finished 13 races around there but that cool. probably means i would have done 20 races because you bikes used to break down a lot more uh, and i remember vividly sitting on the side of the track or getting a bus back or whatever getting lifts back through breaking down because those old two strokes weren't as reliable as the four strokes these days so yes i have um, i never won a tt i finished I finished third in the formula one or senior TT in 1985 and I was on the podium spraying champagne. The race was won by Joey Dunlop. Second was Tony Rutter, Michael Rutter's father, who also sadly passed away a few weeks ago. And I was, um, uh, third place there for about an hour and then I got disqualified. (laughs) So there, there you go. and again, it was such a petty, petty thing, but rules are rules, I guess. And I was furious at the time. I started the race on an FZ 750 Yamaha, uh, stopped twice for fuel, the same as everyone else, finished the race with three and a half litres in the tank. But when they measured the fuel, it was like 100 cc's. The tank was 100 cc's too big. Um, and I swear to this day that uh, the bike sat with a full tank of fuel in the sun and it was a boiling hot day and expanded the tank. But anyway, they chucked me out. So um, other than that, I've finished fourth in a production TT and lots of fifths and sixths and things like that. I don't ever believe I was a proper TT. TT wasn't the be-all and end-all for me. I did it because my career needed to do it. My sponsors wanted me to do it. And I also wanted to do it to achieve finishing in the TT at a reasonable level. But I, I, I didn't put my heart and soul into it. I knew the dangers of it, and I rode well, well within my limitations there.
0: I mean, it is a whole different gravy, that yeah. isn't it?
2: It is. It is, and and I, I talk about. It. I'm really pleased I did do it. Uh, a because I understand what the guys are going through. I understand the 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 you know massive physical strain, the mental strain, the concentration that's required, and the dangers. But I also know the jubilation and the adrenaline fix that you get from doing. It. There's nothing else like it. And I've done lots of things. I've done aerobatics in aircraft and jumping out of aeroplanes i've raced cars i've raced trucks uh have you know water sported aerobatics nothing like the tt you know doing racing the isle of man at a reasonable high level you'll never ever repeat anything like it in your life racing grand prix is great and wonderful and the guys are incredibly skillful but even valentino rossi stands there and shakes his head in amazement when he sees guys around lapping there 130 miles an hour
0: I just still never get bored or or blasé about the footage, the the homemade footage where they're like, you know, leaning against someone's front wall, and the bikes come past, and you're like, going, that's just not normal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you a very true story of a, a big good friend of mine, um, and and someone that's inspired me, I guess you'd say, for my commentary career. Murray Walker has been to the TT many many times as a commentator, and his father used to race there. But he was invited back, and again, date wise. 2010 possibly something like that um and i had a friend that owned a house halfway down bray hill just before the dip at the bottom and i was desperate to get murray there because he'd never been and watched he'd always been at the grandstand commentating or being involved uh, and we gave him uh, a, he had a McVitie's digestive biscuit on his saucer and a nice cup of tea there and i think it was probably john McGuinness that was first through or bruce hanster i can't remember who but murray threw the tea all over himself um <laughs> You just can't – it's just amazing. It takes your breath away because you're, you're stood, I don't know, you know, two foot, three foot away from where the guys are coming past at 170 miles an hour. It's quite extraordinary and it was quite funny to see him do that. And then uh, maybe three years ago, Mark Webber was out there. I sound like I'm name dropping, but you know, I know the guys because of the Isle of Man and the TT. And Mark's a big fan of the TT and loves it. Uh, and we took him out to Harold's Cottage five miles out somewhere and stood him on the side to do a little feature with him, to talk about it and wanted to coincide it with the bikes coming through. <laughs> he says, I'm not bloody standing there. Cause you know, <laughs> you can get so close. He just said, that I'm going to move back a bit. That's how incredible it is, spectating that.
0: I'm determined to get over. I think, by all accounts, uh, my folks took me there when I was really little, so I have no recollection of it at all. We were camping in the field with it all happening just the other side of like a, a you know a little brick wall or whatever. I'm determined to get over there, but the problem is, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Steve, uh, with other things, is that. I'm always commentating somewhere else. So I just don't yeah. get that chance to do it. But it's, I, I've, I've got it on my list. It's going at some point, I've got to get over there and see it because it probably would blow my mind even more in person.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, it's right. It's two weeks in the middle of June uh, where everyone's busy doing lots of other things. And, but yeah, I suggest you do. If you can't make that one, go to the Classic. I think the Classic TT, which is generally and would be uh, last weekend in August, 1st September, um, if you've got a window there, just as good. In fact, I personally think it's better because, again, we're back to what I was saying. You've got Manx Norton's going around. You've got um, MV Augusta's, two-stroke Suzukis, and Yamaha's. You've got motor Guzzi's. Yeah. You've got patterns. You've got, you name it, every kind of classic bike from the 70s and 80s and that is going around there. And it's probably a better experience with all the different eclectic mix of motorbikes. I, I recommend that one as well.
1: I think because I believe Rodney got to um, Parade Rent, didn't he, Steve, a few years ago? He did, he uh, did. One, one of like, these people, yeah. yeah. Got got that to be the
2: classic race of parade lap and things like that, which I yeah. generally get to do every year, which I love. I've, over the years, I've ridden some wonderful bikes around there, the old Rotary Nortons and the Manx Norton, uh, some of the modern triumphs, some of the old triumphs, that type of thing. Uh, and that's also a great treat to be able to lap 37, three-quarter miles on a closed road and people mm. waving their programs at you.
0: Mm, absolutely it sounds good and tonight you should have been flying off to ireland ready for the northwest 200 that's a different gravy all over again isn't it that one
2: yeah it's um is it again massively uh, spectacular to watch recommend that put that on your bucket list because it's mass start tt's obviously on the clock and they start 10 second intervals but it's uh, mass grids at the northwest 200 way over 200 miles an hour at times over normal narrow country roads Mm. and uh, yeah, along the coast road, it's a beautiful place, lovely, lovely place the north coast of Northern Ireland there to be and go for a, a camping holiday or get yourself a caravan or rent a house out there. Uh, fabulous spot. The Guinness is brilliant. There's spectacular views and seaside and yeah, very special. So Northwest 200 is something not to be missed or certainly get that on your list as well.
0: Yeah, it just does. That's mad for me that they're actually, like say, mass start and actually racing against each other as if on streets wasn't hairy enough. Let's make it even more crazy. Why not? (laughs) Um, Uh, We've got uh, Nigel Forrest has uh, has made a a comment here. I have it on good authority. Steve was handing out cups of laxative tea at the bike show on the performance bike stand one year. Discuss. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, yes, yeah, quite, yeah, um, yeah, also don't <laughs> <laughs> really incriminate
0: that. yourself, when it's you're, fine. When
2: you're at the motorcycle show for 10 days, uh, your mind wanders a little bit, doesn't it? It's, it's like the nearest thing I have to have in a proper job, I guess. Uh, I love it, I go to the motorcycle live every year, work there, really enjoy it. It's a great, great show to go to, but as the days go by, you need to put in sort of motivate your mind and brain a little bit. Um, and in fact, yes, that's gone on. There's a number of things that have gone on. Uh, special chocolates were made one year, um, which are we after? We're, well, we're sort of after the watershed, aren't we? Now, I made some special Ferrer Rochers where they had some co- they had condoms inside them. <laughs> and it sounds rather disgusting, but they were new. And Toby Moody actually chewed into one one day while he was having a conversation with a young lady and, and did no more than swallow it, but he wouldn't. Chew <laughs> He's still here, isn't he?
1: <laughs> That's
2: uh, so anyway, yeah, dark things do go on at the, the, the motorcycle show. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm looking through the comments again, and loads of people, by the way, uh, unsurprisingly, are saying you got to read the book. It is hilarious. And and are you still doing the the tour, Steve? Yes, the Mad Tour. Well, and again,
2: that all been cancelled or postponed. We were coming sort of your way. We'd got one in Newbury that was nearly sold out. Actually, it was going to happen in April. Um, which sadly is going to get postponed now. We're, we're penciling in October time. We'd like to think that maybe, but again, that's not a, a done, yeah, because theatres and mm. cinemas, I suspect, and mass gatherings might be the last thing that come back online. But we will definitely be doing the MAD tours now in its sixth year. Um, and again, I really, really enjoy doing theatre shows. i like, obviously, you, you do commentary and you do TV and so on and so on, but you don't actually know what everyone's saying to you, whereas at the theatre you do. <laughs> you <know. laughs> Here in the atmosphere and people giggling and smirking and laughing and it's a real uplift it really is something hard to replicate when you're doing it to an audience behind a screen or on a microphone in the middle of a you know in a in a shed somewhere or in a commentary booth um so again it's a real buzz for me to get involved in the audiences that come along to listen and watch
0: and and definitely uh, have a look for that and again i think on your website it'll keep people up to date when yeah. they're on so that's, that's good. I mean, just to put in perspective, we, I've got quotes here. Comedian Vic Reeves uh, commented, the man is mad, very funny, love the stories and pranks, even I'd be proud of them. And the uh, uh, Geordie comedian uh, Ross Noble stated, a fantastic night, such a legend, and you think I'm bonkers, he's just crazy. I mean, yeah. I was lucky that when you and I met at um, uh, Helladon Lakes for the Catering Graduates Racing Club Awards, what was that now? Probably about three, four years ago. Probably. Yeah,
2: yeah probably. Y-
0: you basically did sort of like an excerpt of your mad tour, didn't you? As as the sort of like the th- within thirty minutes, and that alone was just fabulous. And clearly, you still enjoy delivering it now as much as you did then.
2: Yeah, I do. I still. I I've got such a bad memory. I still laugh at my own jokes and things. <laughs> that what, what makes me laugh is the audience laughing because some of the things that have happened you know I, I can barely believe it myself and you know i've got it's a bit like a comedian telling real life stories and and they've happened to me but i'm pleased to say that both vic Rees and uh, ross noble and all those guys have been to the shows they've come along to the shows and really enjoyed them i got to work with Vic for a period of time he there was a documentary on barry sheen and he told the story of barry sheen's life and got to ride some of Barry's old bikes, so it was a real good, fun mm-hmm. filming process that um, we did together. And I've been to some of his events and things like that. But that's what's beautiful and fun about theatre is being up there and getting involved in the audience. And, and it's you know just like a bunch of people telling stories, or me. Unlike uh, when I did the catering with you, I just did it on my own. But. I actually, uh, the MAD tour is hosted by either my daughter or my wife and they sort of play the devil's advocate and come along and um, and, and sort of it, it helps portray it slightly better, I would like to think. But also, great working as an after dinner speaker, which I do, but a theatre is something different with the atmospheric and the sound and the. You, you know, you're you're enclosed in a comfortable seat and everyone's more relaxed, I guess you could say, and they're not chatting to someone across the table. So you can hear a pin drop. So that also makes it a nicer event.
0: Can you remind me what MAD stands for?
2: Yeah, my adolescent dad, my daughter. Um, that's it. It, that was Exactly what it stood for. Uh, when it started six years ago, um, my poor daughter, uh, bless her, she's been brought up with an <laughs> idiot dad that's got, uh, you know, all sorts of things that have gone. When she was about... 12 years old um i was the uk importer for remote controlled fart machines Uh <laughs> and frankie my daughter had to answer the phone it, the company was called parish poo-poos <laughs> so can you imagine there's a 12 year old <laughs> good morning parish poo-poos can i help
1: you um, poor girl
2: yeah poor girl i feel very sorry for her. Uh, and my son the same i guess so that was what it's good for my uh, adolescent dad, and when my daughter, my wife Michelle, does it, we've kept the MAD and it just stands for my arsehole darling.
0: Then oh. <laughs> beep, <laughs> I love it. Uh, Alan Black has said, uh, with the uh, parish being barred from so many places, has this made your lockdown easier? <laughs> yeah,
2: my life hasn't changed really, no, um, not at all. Uh, most of the places that I've been banned from, I've sort of gradually weedled my way back in and apologize. I often go places twice and the second time to apologize. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it has, I've had to apologize quite a lot. In fact, if you read my book, there's a, most people, when they write a book, you know, they go, I'd like to thank this, 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 and all these people. If At the ba- at back of mine, I go, I'd like to apologize <laughs> to all these people. Um, and, and, and even my poor wife's wedding vows were a bit different as well.
0: Oh God, there's a story there by the sounds of it.
2: Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah I've've um, uh, over the years apologized to quite a few people. Never meant any malice, never meant any harm just things that sometimes spiraled out of control.
0: <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, one of our own the uh, the bikes uh, commentator Martin Bennett still remember Steve's ACU license back from Thruxton with the cat and shower cap
2: oh right yeah it's one of my better pictures actually yeah i've got my <laughs> shower cap on uh yeah and then uh, on occasions when i've got passes being made not normally for my proper licenses but uh, i'll have my billy bob teeth in or something and uh, a mustache on and a bit of disguise going on like that and that way you can get out of even though it's me people don't recognize you do they that's the why i'm getting out of trouble <laughs> talking of getting uh, confused there's a uh, the The manager of Crystal Palace Football Club is called Steve Parrish. He's actually one of the common single-R parishes. But I'm always getting emails from people moaning about their seats at Crystal Palace and they're not comfortable and they paid for their season tickets and so on and so on. And I often wonder, because I just emailed back saying, you can use the director's box this weekend. (laughs) How many are queuing up there trying to get in there? Well, look, here's the
0: email. Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. (laughs) I feel sorry for those people because they'll have got all excited as well.
2: (laughs) I even, even, honestly, I've had the BBC crew phoning up to come down and interview me about me sacking the manager and everything else. I should have just let them know.
0: That doesn't surprise me with the quality of journalism at the minute. Um. The way it
2: started went wrong was it was, I think, some did he sack someone called Tony Pullis or something like? That? I don't really follow football that much, but they used my picture in the article. That's where it got
1: confused. <laughs> he does. It does. He, I'd say you're much sort of um, a slightly. more... He was on the TV this morning being interviewed. It, I thought about that. I was going to mention Chris, but um, yeah, I, I think he looks. A bit, he could be. You know, he could be related to you somewhere, Steve. He's got those chisel good looks like you.
2: A little bit younger than me, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a time. Well, I think we're the same age, but I'm plus fat.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh alan jenkins uh steve let me give you an insight there's uh, uh he, there's a reason why he's asking this i'm sure steve who was your favorite clark of course when you were racing trucks
2: oh it'd be tony Iden. i'm sure
0: <laughs> did that mean did he let you off with stuff then did he <laughs>
2: yeah um yeah um I think he was reasonably fair. He was the guy that travelled around Europe most of the time. Um, and we he kind of trusted he shouldn't have done at times, I'm sure, but he sort of I'd put my hand up if I was really at fault, uh, which I think he probably appreciated at times. Um, and I saw him just recently because I still go to the truck racing, well, I have been for the last three years doing the awards for the Europe FIA European truck racing championship and i've been the host for the presentations down in arama and so i still catch up with him uh, a little bit down there and in fact he probably owes me one because it would have been in october last year i was down there hosting the awards and i managed to get the people that were involved in the trucks to get me a spanish policeman's outfit and we tried to arrest him at the dinner for speeding on the way to the racetrack which he kind of nearly fell for <laughs> I do like messing up.
0: Oh, I noticed. Yeah, and you yeah, don't you don't up, even yeah. hold back, do you? No, you really go for it 100%.
1: For, for, for yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So he was probably my favorite race director, yeah, yeah, because he was he let me off more than most of the others.
0: Keeping with the theme of uh, when you're racing trucks, uh John Creature said, "Hi Steve, do you still follow the British Truck Racing Championship? I have the pleasure of commentating on that a few times and it's just" bonkers what are the main differences uh, comparing truck racing today and when you race trucks in your day
2: um a lot of the differences um and maybe for the better less commercialism less money when i raced trucks most of my career was in a factory team which they don't have anymore now no. um for, through when i sort of went professional when i when i stopped running my team i had to stop running the team. I didn't have to, but I had a choice. I ran the Loctite Yamaha team from 87 through to 91 with Rob McElhinney, Terry Reimer, um, people like that, riding for me. Um, and it was very successful. But I came under pressure really from Mercedes-Benz. They wanted me to do all the truck racing championships and focus on that a great deal. Um, and so I had to make a decision. And I felt that I could run a team when I was much older. but I couldn't go racing when I was much older. So Once I signed for Mercedes in 91, it was a full factory-backed effort. And the trucks were possibly more advanced then than they are even now. And the reason I say that is the regulations to keep the cost down have cut back on some of the technical advancement that took place. And, sure, the power. I mean, the power was bigger because the engines were boosted more. They were full factory engines. We had over 2,000 horsepower uh, when I was racing the trucks. And I think I'm right in saying now they sit somewhere around about 1,200 horsepower now which is still a whole load of horsepower but the things were monsters we also had uh, paddle shift gear change automatic shift uh, lots of different traction controls and so on and so on so right. technology got cut back as it is often happened in sport nowadays to keep the costs down so that's really i guess what you'd say less commercialism less money and less technical advancement but i do follow it i went to brands hatch the end of last year uh, and still it's still a lovely atmosphere at truck racing still a bunch of people mm-hmm. they've always got a barbecue out and they mix and socialize together they lend each other bits and pieces and so I think it's a, a real good fun bunch of people going out there and having an awful lot of fun And it's a big industry the commercial industry don't forget it keeps our country rolling
1: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, I've only ever seen it once at Donington back in about ninety, ninety-one, ninety-two, 92 somewhere on that sort of time and I, d- and I remember dad taking me and um, it was just unbelievable and i remember your, your, your green uh, mercedes and i think we were down by Redgate, and um Ricky Lodge Lodge, lodging it was just something else and it was just um seeing those trucks yeah. going in like that it's just bonkers absolutely terrifying
2: you know it's also quite nice which we realized and i go to a lot of different events it's actually quite a youngish audience as well kids love trucks don't they there's something mm. about it families and kids come along and we i noticed that brand's hatch you, you you know often motorsport fans are probably the more senior you know i'm thinking 50 55 60 years old people come along and, and support it but with truck racing there's a lot younger groups of families come along and i think that's just there's a bit of fascination about it all isn't there yeah uh, and and just seeing this sheer size and and power and everything else that goes on watching these um, machines hurt around and uh, well
0: and they can out out accelerate a porsche for goodness sake
2: oh yeah boy the the last truck i finished up with we did a tv show and i can't remember what it was called um it's like a blue peter tv program they did they brought a 911 turbo porsche along my truck and i blasted it it was naught to 100 and back to naught again and i need had time for a cup of tea time the portion. <laughs> um,
0: unbelievable yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: so that you know there is that element of fascination that goes on but but the the cost and and Technology that in the last year I raced the trucks, they'd got the engine at so much horsepower, they only lasted 250 kilometers. The engine, wow. so they'd, they'd change an the engine in 25 minutes. It was a quick release engine, they'd chuck another unit, and it was like like the touring cars were 10 years ago.
0: That's incredible. Talking about racing large vehicles, I've got to bring up buses at Donington Park as well, Steve.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a, another wonderful day for me. Couldn't have happened better. Um, we've got a we were filming for the British Grand Prix, um, and I managed to sneak a cameraman out. Um, and, and again, cutting the short story reasonably short, there was a, a Day of Champions, which is a charity day, always held, still is to this day now, whether it's at Silverstone or Donington, to raise money for uh, buying motorbikes and expertise to maintain them in outlying countries in Africa, to get medical equipment and this, that and the other. Um and they were raising some of the money by having a bus that went round Donington Park, 2006, I think it was, um, and people would pay ten or fifteen pounds to go on the bus. And it wouldn't just be a trip one lap around Donington; but it'd be with a famous rider on the bus as a conductor. And it could have been Randy Mamola or uh, Kenny Roberts Junior, uh, whatever, whatever star that they could find to get on the bus. And they would talk their way round what it was like on a motor gp bike and so during the day there was probably 20 trips and they'd go over and, and get on the bus pay their 15 quid sit on the bus wait for the star to turn up and away they'd go and i remember this day they were restricted to something like 50 kilometers an hour because they were putting signs and banners up around the track and so they didn't want the truck the bus going too fast um endangering the lives of the people putting the banners up At the end of the day, the riders had all been called to the riders' briefing, and Andrea Coleman, who was in charge of the Day of Champions, gave me a call, said, Steve, can you help us? The bus is full up. They've all paid, but all the riders have gone. Would you mind being the conductor as such going around? So I wandered across there. And the poor old bus driver looked really, really bored. He'd been 20 times around, heard the same old crap, red gate, second gear, accelerating short shift, third, fourth, up to 100 miles an hour, back down, one gear at the old hairpin and so on and so on. And while he's driving at 50 kilometers an hour. So I just said as a joke, uh, go and have a cup of tea, mate. Give us keys and I'll take the bus round. And I couldn't believe it when he did. (laughs) (laughs) He says, oh, you know how to drive a bus? I said, oh, yeah, of course I do. A bit like me knowing how to drive a truck. (laughs) Um, And he asked the people on the bus and and, uh, they said, yeah, he can drive a bus. He's a racing, truck racing champion. No problem. Anyway, of course, he clears off and I didn't. I couldn't even get the handbrake off to start with. I did eventually and away we went. And it was a bit damp. And there was people putting the banners up and everything else. Um, And so off I went. And I just said with the microphone, which I bent around so I could talk into it. Right. uh, I'm not, uh, Randy Momoa, I'm not going to tell you what it's like in a MotoGP bar. I'm going to see how fast I can get this bus around the track. So you better start moving left to right when I say else it will tip over and you'll die. Which got their attention (laughs) So sure enough, we charged down to Redgate and I said, get to the right, get to the right. So they're all shifting their weight across and start on each other's laps. It wouldn't have done for social distancing, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> and then we
2: get the craners and it? it's over to the left and over to the right. And by lap three, we're really on it. Uh, I've got some heat in the tyres. It was understeering a little bit. The people that were putting the banners oh, up yes. all left over the wall because they thought the bus driver was demented, which he was. And, and the people were getting used to swinging from left to right. And by lap yeah. four, well, lap three, we did a 228, I think it was, or something like that, which isn't bad in a bus <laughs> in conditions. Lap four would have been faster, but the security guards all came out and blocked the track. And once again, I got a massive bollocking from yeah. the organisers, as you can imagine. Um, not just then. The next day, because unbeknown to me, um, all the toilets had overflowed on the bus. So Donington Park's covered in shite the night before. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to pressure wash the track.
1: (laughs) Oh, brilliant.
0: But off the back of that, Stephen, I've been trying to read through these headlines to see whether you were were joking or whether you started as a joke and then made it serious. But you were trying to actually champion bus racing.
2: I, I was and I have. No one takes me. I think it's a great winter sport. Yeah, when Carpool Coon's got nothing going on when it's two degrees, yeah, the yeah. bus racing would be wonderful because all the spectators would be on board so it wouldn't get cold. <laughs> uh, and um I'd be setting up a helmet sales department. How many helmets did I uh, sell? So yeah, I got it as a wintertime sport, bus racing where the spectators come with you. You'd even travel at the track with you, wouldn't they? I could have a bus from Cambridge, I could bring 50 people with me, and Michael Ruffler could come from Birmingham and If you're over a
1: certain age, you'd get on for free, wouldn't you? Obviously, you get a bus pass. possibly. I don't know
2: if they'd be agile enough to jump from left to right. That's the thing. (laughs) I'd need fit people. And I'd even got a handicap system that would make the racing even better than the Caterham, where every time the bus in front went over the start and finish line, two more people had to go upstairs. (laughs) It's a no-brainer.
0: The rules are there. They're there, just right in front of us.
2: Yeah, got it all laid out
0: uh chris savage one of the uh, catering graduates racing club uh, drivers uh steve needs to come and guest drive with us uh definitely need to do that good club and you know that from when you were with them as well um ian somerville always great listening to young mr parish there you go complimenting yeah. you as well <laughs>
2: you're, only, uh, you're only as old as the woman you feel
0: yeah, absolutely <laughs> and Ian's also said had the pleasure of helping Stavros out at Festival of Speed in 2018 getting him Michelle and his kit into the paddock so
2: wow right that's a lovely gentleman I think you've got a uh, uh, like a golf buggy that uh, used to pick us up and carry our gear all in and everything else so thank you very much indeed for that assistance and um unfortunately I'm not gonna be there this year but make sure you've got that buggy ready for 2021
0: absolutely yes yeah, sadly no one is are they uh this is a, a a question I didn't really go to Chris also said did you do the Northwest 200 as well
2: yes I did um again annoyingly I keep getting uh, finished on the podium so many times never quite won it came really really close a couple of times but oh I must have raced Northwest probably over a period of six seven eight years something like that thoroughly enjoyed it uh, love the uh, the hospitality that you get there from the lovely Irish people up there. Uh, really good, fun event. Uh, they know how to party. And the great thing about the Northwest used to be you'd practice on... Uh, let me get this right. You don't always have a day off. It'd be Wednesday and Thursday. So if you had a practice on Wednesday night, you could get drunk after that and have Thursday to get over again. And then you'd have a day off. And then you go fishing or you do some fun things and drink Guinness. And uh, yeah, love it. Really enjoyed it. It's f- probably one of my favorite events ever, Northwest 200.
0: That does sound good. I've just suddenly thought of something else because I'm starting to think about how, like the TT and stuff like that, is that there's almost like, uh, you know, family dynasties that sort of just do amazingly well over there and what have you and it then led me on to that there's others like your Bruce Ansties and uh, and people like that and uh, one name that always sticks in my mind is uh, is Guy Martin have you two done a, some kind of show together yet because you'd be both equally bonkers in different ways that I can imagine that working
2: well we haven't really i've done a few bits and pieces with him at a, an event called Dirtquake that went out on ITV4 uh, and odds and ends like that but yeah, I mean, you're right. We are a bit uh, bit mad in some ways, but in totally different ways. Yeah. Because yeah. He's proper loopy, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I get on really well with Guy. Uh, never quite know what's going to come out on what day, do you? you never really mm. sure what's going to come up on the day. Um, I think I'm consistency loop, consistently loopy in my way, and he's yes. in other ways. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he's... Guy's been great for motorcycling. Um, I know he's sort of drifted away from it a bit now and he does a lot of TV work and everything else, but um, he really has benefited our sport by getting it into the households. And people, you know, some people know Guy mine, don't even know he raced motorbikes, you know what I mean. He's like now moved on a little bit from that. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. He's been a very popular ambassador for our sport. Um, And I'm really pleased he stopped going to the Isle of Man. I mean, boy, that lad has had some big, big accidents and um, he'd be popping up out of that cesspit with a salmon on his head like me because he has <laughs> had a few moments that he shouldn't have survived and um so he has and uh, but oh guy is a really smart smart lad and, and comes across extremely well uh, on on tv when he's explaining what's going on in a sort yeah. of – he's a fred dibner isn't he he's the modern day fred dibner i was
1: going to say he came to um he came to motorbike uh, ng uh grand National, about two about three years ago now i think steve i think it was a year you couldn't do it no. and um i remember and you said about chalk and cheese very nice chat very down to earth made him a cup of tea his wife or partner was pregnant at the time very down to earth. anyway we we uh, uh, rodney underestimated how big he was and quite right like you said about this kind of tv side of things mm. and it wasn't and we had a great time and everything else and there was crowds everywhere around him and there was all these rodney couldn't work out He'd get getting sent where are all these like middle-aged mums come from? Yeah. And they were t- and they'd all come out for it. Anyway, it wasn't until the Monday morning. Probably bless him, everyone's a late. Oh, brilliant great, wasn't that great with Guy, great, great? Goes into his emails, some complaints coming in. He's like, right. What's all that about? And they people we came to see Guy Martin, we asked him to sign our trainers and he ran away. And I was, <laughs> and it, they just didn't, and he didn't get it. They didn't get it. And it was just completely, like you said, I don't think they even realized he's only doing medals. So you and him, I mean, I've said I've seen you, and you are, I suppose, to coin of phrase, a phrase of the show pony. You know, you, that's what you're about. People, you know, they, they come up to yeah. you, they grab you, the pose. And he just wasn't that at all. He just was not that at all. He no, he's quite about that actually. He doesn't like
2: yeah. lots of people and everything else, which is, yeah. uh, in the fact that um, that's what he does. And and I think North One TV of graphs. Guy and they use him for lots of different shows, and it's all yep. brilliant. Kind of yeah. he does run away from it. Um, he says he has Asperger's, but I don't know. I guess nowadays, whatever you, whatever weirdity you've got, there's a name for it, isn't there? Um, but I think genuinely, just is embarrassed by you know his popularity.
1: Yeah, no, that. definitely no. I, I mean, when you say it, I just think you know, like I said, not blowing smoke at you. But when I've ever, you know, when we worked these few times, you know, and I know, and some of the you know like Ave and Tyson people, and I know they always say you know with you, you go out that extra mile, you know, with the things that we've done, people. You know, and that's part of it, isn't it? It's part of that you know, entertaining and meeting yeah. people and being uh, friendly and telling stories.
2: Yeah, I've been brought out. I think Barry Sheen was my tutor um, in that he was he would be at the paddock at eight o'clock at night still, sat in the back of his car signing autographs. So he wouldn't let he wouldn't go without finishing the last one. And, and he, you know, it's the, the it was the hand that fed you with the people that came along to watch mm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was always something that I was pleased to do. And you probably noticed when I come along, there's a lot more grannies turn up. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I didn't say you just brought them on the bus, didn't you? Yeah,
2: (laughs) they can't get to me because there's immer frames that's that that (laughs) grass. But no, it's um, uh, it's very, very important in my mind, anyway, to to you know, people come along to watch you, they want to see you, and and do your very best to, to. Give give a little back, and I think that's very very important. But Guy is very different. Um, yeah. it used to be really hard work. Out of all the people uh, to interview at the TT, was a blinking nightmare because he'd be he'd literally be hiding behind a bush somewhere and then run out and get on his wife and go. And the TV cameras wanted him more than anyone else because he was mm. he was the most popular, and you could never track him down. It was just horrendous. We needed to stick a tracker on him really.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Right, I'm conscious of the time so I'm going to get through these comments and questions. A uh, good one from the castle coom uh, commentator Martin Bennett says any rider who deserved to be a world champion but did not get that elusive break. Any one jump out in your mind?
2: Uh yeah, I guess the first person is going to be Randy Mamola. Finished second in the world championship about three or four times just got hit by, you know, it was a period when there's some great riders. He was up against Wayne Rainey, Eddie Lawson, Wayne Gardner, um, you know, all those top guys uh, that were there at the time, kept finishing seconds uh, on numerous occasions. So I'd say Randy was one that really, really springs to mind. Um, Other than that, um, in the latter period of time, I mean, you'd have to feel sorry for a number of people uh, through the Rossi reign, wouldn't you? That kind of, have been there or thereabouts banging on the door and, and Valentino's just picked them and everything else like that. I've just had a shout from the, uh, from the other room. Who's that Michelle? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Really good. Danny Pedroza. Lovely, lovely lad. Um, too small to ride a motorbike. Realistically. And I don't know if people used to go harp on about, Oh, he's wait. You know, he's got an advantage. Bullshit. Excuse me. Beat again. Um, He was so tiny. If anyone has ever met Danny Pedroza, uh, and you had a chance to last year, he came to Goodwood and was such a great ambassador. Um, He's so, so small. You can't believe he could ever ride a great big thousand MotoGP bike at the speeds he ever did. So, yeah, Randy and Danny are the two people that I would have clearly have liked to have seen win a world championship, but up against um, superior people over that period of time. And that's sometimes just a bit of luck, isn't it? You know, you just Mm. don't main people. You imagine what everyone's thinking about poor old Davizioso at the moment with Mark Marquez and people like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. And there'd
2: be two riders that straight away spring to mind.
0: Cool. Uh, Rob Jones, our sort of like Mr. Bikes at, uh, at Castle Coombe. Steve, you rode one of the RG680s. Was it the animal to ride that it was rumoured to be?
2: Yeah, it was a pig. Um, it, it was not a good design. Um, and in fact, if ever you read anything about the bike and martin ogborn who was the chief mechanic or engineer for suzuki's over that period of time when i rode for suzuki's he flipped out on one occasion because what was the problem it was a 652 actually was a cc 652 cc built for the transatlantic series and formula formula 750 where they had a limitation it had to be more than 650 cc so suzuki came up with a 652 it was shorter than the rg for some unknown reason it had a higher center of gravity and it used to wheelie everywhere at a narrow power band and a massive amount of torque that kicked in and i've got two plates in both of my collarbones due to that bike um it used to fire you down a road like you couldn't believe i remember on one occasion at brands hatch both myself tom heron And I think it was Will Hartog all ended up in the same corner, clear ways, because it spat us off coming out of there. Um, Anyway, going back to um, a bit about the 652, my mechanic at the time, Martin Brookman, uh, I just said, this bike is ridiculous. The centre of gravity is the engine needs to be lower, this, that and the other. And we couldn't do that because we hadn't got the facilities to do it. So I got a great big, something like an eight kilo lump of uh, mild steel. And we bolted it underneath the radiator and I got my best ever results with that bike like that. It added eight kilos to it, which was ridiculous. The whole thing was full of magnesium and titanium. Um, And there was me bolting on a great big weight, but it actually transformed the bike. They adjusted the next year. They put the engine lower and it became a better bike. So it was all part of the development of things that went on. But it was a pig to ride in that. You've got to remember the tyres back then were made of plastic. Back in those days, the suspension wasn't real good, and it had an enormous amount of torque um, when it came off the corners because it was still only a disc valve. It wasn't a reed valve like the TZ750. So, yeah, it broke lots and lots of people, that bike did. I used to call it the widow maker.
0: <laughs> it sounded it just even in the description there. And ironically, uh, picking up on what you said there, so, uh, Alan Hamilton's asked the question, did Steve race against the late Tom Heron? And you said there you included him in the names.
2: We, we were teammates for um the 79 season not for very long because sadly tom lost his life um may at the northwest 200 that year uh, and yeah um in fact tom sadly lost his life we were battling for third position at the northwest 200 uh, 200 meters from the finishing line it just started drizzling with rain a little bit and we were literally i was on the inside of the June Hill and Tom was on the outside and fell off and lost his life then. So, yeah, I raced against Tom quite a lot that season and the previous year when he had his own privateer RG500 and I was riding my privateer bike. So, yeah, I did race against Tom a lot and it was a tragedy that he lost his life so early on.
0: Mm. Thanks for that, Alan. Uh, quite a nice comment here. Ian Keane, uh, who uh, maintenance guy up at Alton Park, great listening to you, Dorsey, uh, Parish is uh awesome never get tired of listening to the banter from years ago keep it up guys and thank you for that because obviously you know steve was good enough to even allow us to change the time what with our prime minister speaking in 28 minutes um and thank you for accommodating that steve and, and you understood what we explained to you and we said this is about sort of giving people a bit of escape a bit of light-heartedness in these times and that comment sums it up really doesn't it
2: yeah, yeah, I think he does. And, you know, it's nice to have a chat to some of the fans because, uh, again, at a meeting, um, and, and sometimes I feel a slightly embarrassed, people would like to stand and chat, but there's lots mm. of people that want to stand and chat. And, you know, I like to think, you know, I can spend some time with people, but I can't spend all day with people because if there's a queue of people, and, and I know and I get it a lot and I sometimes have to apologize. People turn up with their photo album and they've got everything that they want doing, but there's someone behind them in the queue that wants to also have a chat. and it's, it's a juggling, balancing act at times, trying to be as nice and give as much time as you possibly can to people and then without upsetting the others. So at times I do say, look, I'm really sorry, but someone else wants to have a chat and, and that's the way it goes. So here we've got all the time and we've had a good old,
1: old You have. Yeah, I no, was entertaining, Steve. You're always good.
0: Um, Lin Hoy, Riders for Health, is a fantastic organisation.
1: Yep.
2: Um, see, the, the Riders for Health um, started out, again, Randy Momola was very much involved with that, along with Barry Coleman and Andrea Coleman, who Andrea Coleman, who runs, still does, Riders for Health. I think, it, I think it's called Two Wheels for Life now. They've changed the name of it. But Andrea Coleman that runs it was Tom Heron's wife. Um, and, and she was widowed obviously that year in 79 at the Northwest 200, she ended up, uh, marrying Barry Coleman, who was a journalist for them, for the Guardian. Um, and Barry Coleman actually was very much involved with the riders breakaway group to get things safer in Grand Prix racing way, way back before her started. Um, so it's a kind of close knit community, but the, the whole deal with riders for health was that motorcycles which we know are dangerous items in the wrong hands, can also save lives. And it was about raising money to supply motorbikes to Africa and areas where cars couldn't get to so that nurses and doctors could get medical equipment to outlying areas in Africa. So motorcycles can save lives as well as take them. And then that was really the whole deal that we have put together. And, and it made a lot of sense. And now Dorna are very much involved. And, um, over the years, Yamaha and all the bike manufacturers have got involved. And more importantly now, not only do they help supply motorcycles in those areas, they also supply expertise to engineers. Because what was happening, as we've seen it in so in many, many walks of life, people get a new motorbike and within a year it was rubbish because it hadn't had the oil put in it and the chain adjusted and the this. And so now they train all the people that ride them to keep the maintenance up. So it's a really good uh, educational scheme.
0: And I love that, just a great, it was a good uh, comment to make to get that, is that that's the great thing, is that you are, you know, have fun, be the joker, but there is a very serious side to you as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I am not. I might act daft at times, but I, I'd like to think I've got a broad perspective as to what goes on. I enjoy making people giggle and laugh. I like having a lot of fun, but I'm also well aware that, you know, life can be serious at times, like it is now, frankly.
0: Yeah, uh, that's why I just thought I wanted to make that point because it's good to see. Uh, interestingly, uh, your friend Ian Somerville says, See you in 2021, Steve, golf buggy at the ready. So there Day you
2: go. The Ian, that's very kind of you. My pl- wife will be very. Pleased to hear that. He was a star because it's a bit of a, a trek uh, carrying all your gear through and everything else. Because like, poor old Michelle gets ever so tired carrying all my leathers and helmets. Yeah,
0: absolutely. One uh, well, I like this as well is my dad's obviously watching as well. And uh, my dad, David, says, uh, listening to Steve is like listening to the commentary on a thrilling, fast, close race. Thanks, Steve. And oh, that, bringing yeah. those those memories back is, is, is not just the stories, but it's just hearing the voice going, yeah, I feel like I'm watching a race now.
2: All right. Oh, well, very kind of you. Thank you very much indeed. I hope to be back doing it very soon. I I really do. Because, again, um, you know, we can't stop the the years creaking by, but it's so nice to still be involved in the sport, whether it be in commentary side and walking around the paddock, talking to the guys and seeing what's going on. And a number of people, particularly the mechanics and engineers, quite a lot of them are still from my era. So it's always lovely to mix Mm -hmm. with the guys, keep up with all the new innovations that are coming out.
0: Absolutely. Um, Chris Savage has said, did you do any motocross?
2: A little bit, not a great deal. Um, It it sort of, I think back when I was doing it, you were either a motocross rider or a road race race rider. And now it's very much people start out in motocross and come across to road racing. Well, an awful lot do. Um, And I think it's a great, in some ways, I wished I probably had... I didn't do proper motocross. I rode bikes around fields and and things like that, but I never got into motocross as such. Apart from a bit of training, again I go back to um, Barry Lee, uh, about Bar- Michael Lee, who was the uh, Speedway World Champion, was lived nearby, and his dad Andy Lee, who was a great '60s motocross rider, had a track near here, near here. So I used to do a bit for fitness levels and stuff like that, but never really got into it. Whereas now you'll come across most of the. Riders will have started when they were 14 or 15, maybe on motocross bikes, because it's slightly cheaper sport to get into, I guess.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Tom, you've regaled me with stories of receiving parcels from Steve Paris as well.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, as always, I'm happy to return favors and help out. And Steve's such a lovely chap and Emma bless her she's coming tonight came um, i think we wanted to send some flyers down from the event that we were doing I said yeah no worries steve you you send them down and uh, i'll hand them out and one thing or another anyway so emma bless her comes running through the office with the post looking and she said so she, i think she guessed straight away because i normally have uh, have my deliveries uh, at home and it had been stamped with the um, Playboy TV channel subscription, if I remember rightly. Steve? Oh, right. Yeah. And um, so luckily it was Emma that delivered to me. And she knows me better than that and knows I've not got a slutty mind. All right. But I'll take a photo of it. Yeah.
2: Dread to think it might have embarrassed you. Yeah. You're lucky. You <laughs> That's, yeah. You're lucky he you didn't get a pregnancy test result stamp on it. And, uh, well,
0: just... to say, I've got the photo of uh, Peter Bringlow saying that he got one with the pregnancy test results on the stamp so that the postman sees it and everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: well, that dad, like, rang me up. He actually laughed about it, but his wife gave him a right of grilling. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so right i'm conscious it's now 22 so i'm going to wrap up with the last few comments everybody's saying steve thank you so much it's been a very entertaining evening uh thank you for also asking us to keep up the great work but mainly it's aimed at you um nick workman making comments about your mention of the transatlantic series brings back happy memories traveling to the three circuits brands mallory and alton over the four easter day weekend um Chris Parr, Papa Parr saying, loving the stories from the days, political cor- incorrectness, brilliant we could do with more of that nowadays as you've pretty much said Uh Jackie Beard has said Richard Beard, our uh, um, Marshall Secretary uh, has said, thanks guys for another great show and thanks for the laughs, Steve Chris Hodgetts has been jumping in yeah, yeah, so Alright,
2: uh, yeah, nice to hear from Chris actually, I know his wife's not been very well with COVID I believe and so I think she's got through that mm. all But um, I got to know Chris back in the days when I was racing the cars and stuff like that. He was a great touring car driver in his day. And, um, yeah, hi, Chris. Nice to hear from you. Um, And I'm pleased that everything's sorted out at home
0: and he's made a key point there how's the book sales going reckon i've sold a good 50 paris times full-time ambassador if you're feeling down buy the book people yeah. and i think this show kind of shows that that is definitely worth doing steve oh,
1: there's it, a lot more isn't there <laughs> oh
0: there is i mean we could have carried on for ages and, and thank you for being so accommodating steve um i know we've gone on but it's gone in the blink of an eye to be honest and hope it feels that way to you as well yeah thanks it, it, for coming on Pleasure, yeah, thanks,
2: lovely seeing you. Cheers, Tom. Look forward to uh, the circuit being back open as soon as possible and catching up yeah. with you all. And um, Stay safe, be good.
0: Thanks, Steve. Thanks, all the best. thanks Steve. So we'll uh, remove Steve. Steve Parish Stavros, the legend that is. Literally, Tom, that was as funny as I, I was expecting it to be. But, yeah. but so many stories, and, and there's no question about it. We haven't even you know there's so many much no, more no, can... you've
1: got to buy the book i keep I, I the problem is you see steve always i keep dropping hints that i need to be sent one and what does he do just sends me crappy mail through the post and i don't like part of me in cash but no everyone like i said when it comes to the events i know he's still listening in the background but genuinely i said when it comes to the events and rodney was a huge ambassador of his absolutely and always had said to me you know make sure you keep in touch with steve make sure you get steve involved and in fairness you know he's been brilliant and the fans do love him um and he's got a great story but he's at, you know, like i said he's, he's genuinely a, a good guy as well so you take his take his take his jokes with a pinch of salt as it as, as, as you should don't like i said let's not please don't write into the facebook police everyone and don't
0: no. i hope nobody was offended by language we knew exactly
1: that that, no, well go, yeah, go
0: home but yeah it was uh we knew that it would still be entertaining so thank you to everybody for for watching uh, yeah. Thank you as well. I've received some lovely flamingo. Oh,
1: look at those! Tickets.
0: Bit of fan yeah, mail you're there. Doing right <laughs> with this aren't you? Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> that's uh, that, that, they'll be worn on the next show as well, I'm sure. But I uh, thought that that's a bit easier to show them that way instead of trying to lift yeah. your leg up. Uh, we've got Ben Edwards on Wednesday, Formula yeah. One commentator, Formula Four driver that we still to this day still get to see at Castle Coop. There is there's still details to be ironed out but we're looking at bank holiday Monday, the 25th of this month. Yeah. Still nervous talking about this because it's going to be a big challenge. We know that we should all be at Castle Coombe Circuit. We're going to look to try to do a full day. Yeah. (laughs) This is what we've been asked to do. Uh, Split into bite-sized chunks, but we're going to cover all sorts. We're going to catch up with uh, the marshals when they'd be signing on, uh, with, with medical, with race control, with uh, the different tra- championships. We're going to have some fun during the day. We're going to look to get uh, commentators past and present onto this as well and literally go as if we were there for the full day. You can dip in, dip out, and it's going to be a challenge that we're going to try to raise money for charity during the course of the day. Yeah, because definitely. I've got to go to the toilet a few times in that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no, Chris, I think the idea the idea is that um, you know, we want I'd like to run a online race meeting at the end of the day. We can't be there, and obviously we can't see the racing. Um, but the idea is there's so many people who want to be involved, and I want to be involved, and you want to be involved as well. And I think everyone's got a story to tell. So Steve Weston and I were talking about this with you as well. And the idea I think is to, like I said, we had a little look, and everyone here from it, <laughs> Let's, you know, how many people have actually spoken to Scrutiny and listened to what Scrutiny has got to say? Who, you know, who knows what goes on on the scene? I think, you know, the marshals, every, all the different marshal posts, loads of different things. There are so many, what, hundreds of people involved in a race day. And I think, you know, I also said I want to try and get some drivers on um, as well. And I want to try and run some sort of talk through grids, which we're talking about. So my idea again is there's lots of people that let's have a chat and a bit of a laugh about who thinks they might have done what uh who thinks that they what they could do and yeah we'll need a lot of gin uh becky we'll <laughs> need a lot of gin to get through the day i think that's my plan to get smashed from whenever we start but you know <laughs> what i want to do is i think it's important to custom we want you know we want everyone to be involved and i appreciate and i think like i said we we want everyone to be involved and everyone to you know have their bit of time and run it like a like a race day like we said you know have a bit of fun with it as well and I know we can't be there and it's not gonna be the same but we really want to try and engage with you all and get your know, your support guys
0: All together in some way, you know, you know, lots of people wouldn't necessarily have a whole show, uh, whereas this gives, you know, just a, you know, a little soup song of all of the, (laughs) all of the people's involved. One of the things that I'm thinking of is that to try and think of your three F's, your first memory, your fondest memory, your funniest memory. Try to get some of those worked out between yeah. now and then. We will give you details as it comes, and there will be some kind of just giving page to try and raise money. Um, you know, the obvious one is probably for the NHS uh, uh, charities, but we'll look into that and see what we can do. And just try and make it a big challenge and, and get lots of people yeah. involved during the exactly. course. Exactly.
1: Please, yeah, I say a couple of people always, yeah, mess, mess, you know, please, you know, drop us a message, uh, one of us a message or whatever because if you want to get involved like I said there's plenty of scope um, you know like yeah please like I said it, you know make, make sure you uh, you get involved and I think yeah, it'd be great everyone's got a story to tell Chris I'm just conscious of time
0: yep so we need to let you go we've got 15 minutes till uh, uh, Boris is on and he's going to tell us more so uh, thank you all very much for tonight thank you Tom but the biggest thanks of course goes to Stavros yeah uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on so uh, thank you very much and we will see you on uh, Wednesday night. So all the best and stay safe. Take